0: Good morning, I'm Leslie Thatcher. 8.06 on this Monday morning, it's March 6th. We've got 16 degrees with light snow showers here in Old Town Park City. Snow-packed roads, slow going. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Geboy good morning.
1: Good morning, Leslie, and yeah, the, the snow just keeps on coming. And we, we talked about it last week, how there's really not that much area to put the snow left in Park City but we're going to hold on to the chance for snow as we go through today. Now the chance once we get into the second half of the day, won't be as high compared to what we're seeing out out there right now. The winter weather advisory that we have for the Wasatch back that goes until 11 o'clock this morning. So right now we're sitting at about an 80% chance for snow, but obviously we're seeing that light snow in Park City. Then it'll be more so a 40% chance for snow. Once we get into the afternoon and that chance will dwindle just a little bit more into this evening where I think that we could actually get maybe a little bit of a break, but the chance won't go away completely. We'll still even hold on to a 20% chance chance of snow as we go through tonight but today the daytime high topping out at 28 degrees And with the winds, it's likely going to feel just that little bit colder than into tonight. Mostly cloudy skies with that overnight low dropping to 13 degrees, holding on to that 20% chance. And then we got some more energy coming our way going into Tuesday and Wednesday. Snow showers likely again for our Tuesday. It's going to probably be more on the magnitude of those hit or miss snow showers compared to the blanket like we saw during the overnight hours last night and out there early this morning. But still greater than a 50-50 chance with a daytime high of 29 degrees. Mostly calm skies, but will still stay cloudy going into Tuesday night with the overnight low dropping to 50 50 degrees. Then our next system comes in on Wednesday. So we'll look at the chance for snow once again from Wednesday into Wednesday night, holding on to maybe a slight chance early on Thursday. Thursday at this point looking mostly dry, but Wednesday a 70% chance for snow, a daytime high of 30 degrees, a 40% chance for snow on Wednesday night. The overnight low dropping to 13. Then by Thursday afternoon, looking mostly dry, partly sunny with a daytime high of 28 degrees. And then going into our Friday, of course, we can't see the calm conditions last too long because that's not the kind of winter that we're in. We'll get partly cloudy on Thursday night the low dropping to 14 and on friday the chance for snow will return and that chance will stick around more or less going into this upcoming weekend but the difference with the system coming in friday into saturday is that there will be a southerly flow ahead of this particular system that'll actually help push up our temperatures a little bit on friday the daytime high climbing into the mid-30s and by saturday we could see a daytime high in the upper 30s so i wouldn't even completely rule out the chance that we could see maybe a little bit of rain but at this point definitely looking like we'll see more snow rather than not than not and on friday into saturday we actually could see a healthy amount of precipitation but still too early we'll have to fine tune those details as we get a little bit closer and along with the daytime highs coming up going into this upcoming weekend those overnight lows will also trend a little bit warmer instead of Seeing temperatures in the overnight in the teens they will be more so in the 20s once we get into friday night continuing through more or less sunday night so the active weather leslie looks like it's here to stay
0: sure does thank you thomas, thank you, thomas. you're welcome and with a look in the backcountry, on the phone with us from the utah avalanche forecast center we've got drew good morning drew
2: hey good morning leslie it's just <laughs> words um words really sort of failed me here it's this winter, and it just keeps snowing. Um, you know, storm totals of two to three and a half feet. Uh, mercifully, the winds have been generally on good behavior. Um, the danger spiked to high yesterday morning um, with the heavy snowfall rates. A little bit of wind yesterday. Uh, another almost a foot overnight in many areas, um, but. The danger remains considerable um, at the mid and upper elevations it's just um, it's just too much snow and i if i were heading to the backcountry i would um i'd keep my slope angles low and just allow the new snow to gain strength and stabilize um you know there are numerous large and long running and destructive avalanches with control working little cottonwood yesterday and you know, the ski areas triggered many um, new snow avalanches, one to two feet deep. Uh, the backcountry, um, probably the most significant ones were over in uh, Big Cottonwood Canyon, Silver Fork, what they call the meadow Shoots. You can see them from solitude. And these are lower down on the slope, and they were one to two feet deep and about 100 feet wide. Um, so caution required today, Leslie, if you're heading to the backcountry. Um, again, considerable danger at, on all aspects of the mid elevations. elevations. Um, and I would just keep my slope angles ratcheted back less than about 30 degrees, let things stabilize out uh, until the next storms arise. Um, it's been that kind of winter. So um, hopefully people stay safe and uh, enjoy the powder.
0: Yeah, and you're not complaining.
2: Oh no, oh no, <laughs> it's it's a winter to remember. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, Drew. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks so much. And on the phone with an update from U.S. Ski and Snowboard, I've got the Director of Communications, Courtney Harkins. Good morning, Courtney. Morning, Leslie. So um, you're probably still in Aspen, huh? We've got
3: uh, our, had our final <laughs> season races there for Alpine. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, we just wrapped up an incredible weekend of racing over at the Steeple America's Cup in Aspen, which was so fun. It was our second usa world cup in a row um so really wonderful to to really be surrounded by that culture here in the states and see the u.s fans coming out in droves um we had a great weekend in aspen we had one race canceled to weather which was a little bit of a bummer but two fantastic races and such a fun town and you know, the race comes really straight down into the town so it really creates a, a fun european esque atmosphere.
0: Okay, so let's see. We had a couple of big retirements, too. Travis Ganong and Steve Nyman, huh? That was it for yes, them. Yes, we did.
3: Yeah, it was very cool. Um, you know, Steven Nyman obviously lives here in Park City, you know, grew up on the Park City ski and Snowboard team. He uh, announced his retirement this week, saying that you know, he was done at you know, 41 years old. He has a, uh, you know, two little kids now. And so it was really cool to be able to celebrate him in Aspen. He did a final send-off run during Saturday's downhill race, where he skied down after all of the rest of the racers, and you know was in jeans and a, a denim vest, and shook all the hands of the coaches that have been supporting him for you know 20 years on the World Cup, and you know, and then was able to celebrate with all of his teammates and family and friends in the finish. Um, and then we did you know something similar with Travis Ganong, who has been again on the team for I believe 17 years. Mm-hmm. He uh, is going to retire after this season to spend more time actually you know, skiing in the backcountry and, and on his mountain bike and things like that. He lives over um, in Tahoe, California. And uh, his last domestic race was in Aspen, so we are able to have his family and friends there and greet him with you know, bouquets of flowers and celebrate Has, his teammates, give him a really nice tribute as well. Um, and then he'll race at the World Cup Finals in Andorra in a couple of weeks, and then and then he'll be done as well.
0: Okay, I want to quickly note uh, Michaela Schifrin. She is on track to break the World Cup uh, records of alpine wins at 86. Can she do that this season?
3: She can do that this season. She can do that this weekend. Um, she is currently sitting at 85 wins. So the record, as you said, is 86, set by Ingemar Stenmark uh, in 1989. Um, and I think there's a very good possibility of her doing it this weekend in Ore, Sweden, which is actually her first World Cup win venue in 2012. Oh. So she's got a couple of tech races this weekend, which is her specialty. So she should, she should do well. And if not there, um, the next up is the uh, World Cup Finals. So, for her to get to both 86 and then 87 to break it and officially own that record individually.
0: All right. Uh, real quick, uh, cross country world championships just wrapping up in Slovenia, and we had a history made there with Jesse Diggins' gold,
3: huh? That was so amazing. Jesse Diggins won the first individual American gold medal um, on the world stage. Really incredible. She you know, obviously won gold at the Olympics, but that was in a team event. So this was the first time an individual person has done it. Um and she was so excited. She won it in the ten K, which is an incredibly hard event. It's an individual event. It's just you against the clock. And she performed so admirably. Um and really right after winning another medal, um, a bronze in the team event with um her teammate Julia Kern, who's a, an up and coming racer, um, and it's just was really, really fun to watch.
0: Freestyle athletes just finishing up their World Championships, and in Georgia, of course, the
3: the country, not the the state. <laughs> yes, exactly. In Georgia, the country, which built this special you know village and resort uh, for this event. It was the fifth Freestyle, Freeski, and Snowboard World Championships. So you have know, the other three of our teams over there, um, and the Freestyle team had an incredible time. They had uh, back-to-back silvers from Jalen Koss, um, who lives down in Salt Lake City now, but it's from um, Alta, Wyoming. Uh, and then a silver for Quinn Dellinger in his first World Championships. Um, and then a gold uh, for the team event. This is, uh, you know, we, we won gold in 2022 in Beijing. Um, this is a little bit of a different team, but it was Ashley Caldwell, uh, Chris Lillis, and Quinn Dellinger who all took home another gold medal uh, just about a year after winning gold in Beijing,
0: okay, and the snowboard team also holding their World Championships.
3: Also holding their World Championships, they've also had a good time. Um, there was a Lindsey Jacobellis who has, you know, is the most decorated snowboard cross racer in history. Um, Tacoma bronze, kind of a w- lovely way to, to ca- cap off her really long career. Um, again, she won two golds in uh, in Beijing as well. Um, and a bronze for Chris Corning in slope style, which was really cool. And at the same time, we had Dew Tour going on. Um, So we, you know, literally the same weekend, the athletes somewhat had to decide on which one they would attend. So we had others over at Dew, at Copper Mountain, um, which we had podiums from Taylor Gold, from Steamboat with a Gold, and then young B. Kim, um, who took home a bronze, which was really exciting. She's a really new up-and-coming snowboarder and someone to really watch out for as one of the better snowboarders of this coming generation.
0: Okay, and then finally wrapping it up with uh, the Freeski team.
3: Wrapping it up with Freeski, you know, similar, we both world champs in Georgia and then Tour. And actually this was cool, David Wise um, and Alex Ferreira both competed first at Tour, and then that night got on a plane and flew straight to Georgia, which is about a 30 hour trip, give or take. Um, and, you know, David Wise uh, took, took second at Tour in half-pipe, and then Alex Ferrera took bronze at World Championships, his first World Champs medal. Um, and then yesterday in Georgia, to wrap up a you know, long couple of weeks, out in that area of the world. Uh, Troy Podnilzak, who is a, a young, you know, started on the rookie team this year and has made his way up, I think, to the pro team now, uh, took home gold in big air. And then Hannah Fallhaver, uh, again, young, 18-year-old. I think Troy also 18. Hannah's 18 uh, from Aspen, took home gold in half-pipe. So a really great way to cap off an incredible couple of weeks out in Georgia.
0: Okay. Hey, we're going to leave it there. Courtney, thanks so much for your, for your update. Appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks so much. Well, as we reported, the Park City Council met in a two-day retreat last week to kind of forge the coming years project. And on the phone with a recap, I have Mayor Nan Wolfe. Thanks for joining us, Nan. Good morning. Uh, Let's see, for its critical community priorities, the council selected just two. We've always had four. Transportation and housing now are the two critical priorities. What led the council to choose Mm -hmm. those
4: two? Critical priorities for us are defined as things that if we, we don't get them right, we're going to have serious consequences. So the council talked a lot about different priorities and transportation and housing rode to the rose to the top because that's honestly what we hear the most about from our residents and the national community survey results show that they were top issues as well now that doesn't mean the council doesn't have other um priorities that they want to be looking at over the next year such as local culture and recreation and the workforce experience infrastructure and utilities public safety is an important thing for our council as well as childcare has kind of risen to the surface as an area that, that needs to be looked at um, this year, especially during the budget process.
0: Yeah. So you also selected what you called sub uh, four sub priorities, community design, affordability, livability, equity, and environmental leaners leadership. Explain how rolling everything the city does through those four lenses makes a difference.
4: I think it makes a tremendous difference. And that's shown uh, at, over the last few years, as decisions have been made, we've looked at things through an equity lens. So for example, if we're going to modify bus routes, you know, if we look at that, who really uses those lines? What does that do to our workforce? What does that do to people that may not be able to have an alternate form of transportation? So there are just different lenses that we look at decisions through, and it really does help guide, because a lot of times we'll look at something and go, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. Um, And and the community's been great about calling those things out. You know, recently we had a conversation about um, a new pickleball facility out at Quince Junction. And the uh, NAC had some really valid points about, you know, the neurodiverse community has trouble with um, really loud, you know, noises. And they were afraid that there might be. Um, because of the proximity, that may be difficult for that community. So again, those are lenses that we look at decisions through. I think we need to polish those lenses a bit um, and and really make them crystal clear and defined so that both staff and the council are clear that when we're looking at something through a community design lens, what does that really mean?
0: Give me an ex- our next step. Give me an example of environmental leadership.
4: Yeah, I think we're doing that already. You know, We have really ambitious uh, climate goals, and, and our next goal is to be net zero as a community um, by 2030. And we have certainly um, taken a, a lead with Mountain Towns 2030 and are, are working closely with other Mountain Towns on initiatives. We have um, an electric bus fleet. We're about to add seven new electric buses to this year. So it's something that we're already doing, but we want to keep that. Focus and as we're looking at, at different issues or different projects, you know, what, is that, what does that do to our environment? And certainly, if we're talking about transportation, electric buses is, is a, a lens that we need to certainly be looking at.
0: Well, the council held more than three hours of discussion on transportation during the first day of the retreat. Um, the main action there uh, was telling transportation staff that they should begin looking into the feasibility of a park and ride there at the Gordo property. So what's the the likelihood of that happening soon?
4: Uh, The staff's gonna get busy out looking at that right away. They were kind of thinking that that might be a direction that the council gave. So uh, obviously we want to have intercept lots as much as possible. And um, Gordo seems to make sense at the right turn. Um, it would keep cars from coming into town. And there's all sorts of examples of, of great park and ride lots that have other services, too. People might be able to buy a lift ticket or they might be able to get a cup of coffee and a donut or whatever um, before they get on the bus and, and to bring them into town to take those cars off of, off of the road.
0: What's the status of the bus rapid transit plan there on two forty eight? It seems very much lagging behind what's happening on two twenty four.
4: Um, we're already shoulder running buses on on two twenty four. I'm, I'm sorry, two forty eight coming into town, and um, there's plans to run them out of town on the other on going the other direction. So it's it's already online.
0: Yeah, so how, how, what are we seeing then with the bus ridership there to and from Richardson Flat, is that working? It is, you know, I've, I haven't had a council member say he was wrong, that people wouldn't use it and wouldn't ride.
4: We're averaging about 2,500 riders a week from Richardson Flat, which certainly we've heard a lot of feedback that people would prefer to have direct buses from Richardson Flat to the resort. So that's gonna be a conversation that we have with the resorts. Um, and this, going
0: this was something you made part of your uh, campaign and your le- election platform that the uh, council officially last week approved the study for the former arts and culture district land. And why? Why do we need to do that again? We already have a plan on the shelf.
4: I think that a lot has changed since 2017. And uh, we want to check back in. The council feels it's important to check back in with the community to see is that still something that they would like to see there so we're we're going to check the feasibility te- take the temperature of the community before investing a lot of money in that area and we're also going to do a small area plan for the bonanza park snow creek neighborhood
0: and i guess <laughs> what's changed because the kimball arts center has said that it wants to be there is sundance still as committed as is the kimball
4: um from what we understand yes you know again both organizations have brand new leadership and had to put their capital campaigns on on hold so um certainly they are at the table they're they're going to be part of the feasibility study um of the community group that works alongside the consultants that are conducting the study okay i'm excited because we opened we opened applications uh for community members to serve on um community committees to work alongside the consultants, and uh, that it doesn't close, and applications don't close until next Friday, and we already have over 50 people that have wanted to be involved.
0: All right, but so nothing's changed with regard to Sundance and the Kimball. So what has changed? Because you say a lot's changed other than just the, the people making decisions. I think that
4: during the, during the pause that over, over COVID, we've heard from the community, you know? Now that I see how big the area is, wouldn't this make a better park? Wouldn't this be a better place for housing? Wouldn't this be a better place for, you know, a a local gathering spot, you know, with with small restaurants, very local focused? So I think that there has been a lot of community conversation that needs to be considered.
0: All right. Well, it was housing and it was transportation and it was underground parking and it was some food courts and things like that. It was... That's what the plan we have, and I guess I'm just trying to figure out how different could it be than what we already have planned for that area. Well, how much?
4: Well, the plan that we had for that area was 110 million dollars, which is not a realistic budget at all
0: but if trans- for that area. But if transportation and but- housing are, are critical community priorities, and we've got a lot of land, then why aren't we doing transportation and housing in that which the previous plan showed?
4: It showed some, it also showed a lot of arts and culture. It showed housing for artists, it showed makerspace. And I think those are all all good things, but how does that all come together? And transportation actually, as we got down the road there, there was not a transit hub on the property because of the logistics and reality of getting buses in and out of there.
0: Okay, real quick. I I know that you discussed rental regulations, particularly regarding seasonal workers. Um, Is there anything the city can do to help the the J1s, the short-term workforce?
4: That was a lot of the conversation. I uh, convened a group of um, employers and service providers last November to make sure that we had wraparound services ready to go when our work with a seasonal workforce came and, um, the chamber took that bull by the horns and published a great online resource directory. Housing obviously is a big problem. You know, we had our, um, our staff look at what, what teeth does the city already have? Um, how do we find these, these, this housing, it's going to be an ongoing conversation. Um, we're really thankful to have mountain lands community, um, housing, um, staff working with us on this, of how do we do a better job as a community of making sure that, that these uh, atrocious things like happened to those 12 men living in a one bedroom uh, apartment don't happen in the future. And what are the consequences if we do find things like that again? So it's going to be an ongoing discussion. We are about to uh, survey in conjunction with the other agencies. We've decided to keep this tax task force intact and you know really be proactive for the next year of making sure things are in place and we're going to be surveying um our international workforce before they leave uh, just in a few weeks
0: okay i've got to leave it there now uh you've got your sleeves rolled up i can see lots of work to do still
4: we do we absolutely do
0: okay appreciate your time this morning thank you thank you that's park city mayor nan warrell you're listening to the local news hour here on kpcw